podcast with your hosts, Gene Steinberg and David Piedley. Hey, Jacob Herod. We're glad to talk to you direct from New York and Arizona to Brazil. And in making this connection, I guess if you follow a lot of the U.S.-based UFO literature, there's always talk here about disclosure, where the government is going to reveal the secrets it allegedly knows about UFOs. Now, is there a similar movement in Brazil and other parts of South America, or what? Oh, yes, absolutely, Gene and David. Yes, there is a strong movement down in, in South America, in many countries, actually, uh, of people who research UFOs and who are willing to pressure to put some pressure over our governments to make it release what they're hiding now we have a movement here in brazil where i'm speaking from similar right now going on in a few other countries like peru you imagine peru is a very poor country and even then they have a, a very strong movement towards the opening files and in ecuador which is a very small country but guess what? In, in, in South America, you will find Uruguay, which is one of the smallest countries in the continent, who has an open commission for UFO investigation, which is inside the Department of Aviation of Uruguay, and it has been on for almost 30 years just as old as France. Now, we know that France started releasing files back in 1976. It, the government admitted that UFOs exist, that they come from, from somewhere else than, than this planet, and they started investigating UFOs on an open basis. Now, just a few years after that, Uruguay, here in South America, decided to do just the same. And since 1979, Uruguay has a committee to investigate UFOs. And right now, we have similar committees to investigate UFOs on an open basis uh, by both civilian and military personnel. We have them in Chile. We have them in Peru. We have them in Ecuador. And what we are trying is to have the same thing in Brazil. Brazil is the biggest country in South America far more advanced than the other ones in the continent. And yet, it has not completely admitted that UFOs exist, and except for a few military or non-military personnel on a private basis. Right now, we're dealing with a, a brigadier, one of the top-ranking military in the Brazilian Air Force, who decided to disclose a lot of information to us. He gave us a very long interview where he admits the materiality of UFOs, that UFOs really do exist, that they go, which of course we know, but it's something good to hear from people who don't talk about it on a general basis. And plus, this man, this general, actually is equivalent to a five-star general. He's a brigadier. He used to be the head of the Brazilian Airspace Defense Command. So he is the guy. He also admitted that Brazil has been dealing with UFOs since 1954 and that 
There are hundreds of cases reported officially every year by pilots, not only military but also civilian. And he disclosed to us that it is like a routine to send to scramble jets, send them after UFOs, which are called in Brazil traffic hotel. TH is the label that they used to this phenomena. Now, this sort of information have kind of stirred up uh, the UFO field down here, and we are living in very exciting moments uh, since uh, March 8th when this interview was done in Brasilia. So, AJ, what has been disclosed to you by this brigadier? I mean, you have planes that are scrambled to go after UFOs. You have an acknowledgement of a large number of reports from military pilots, and I imagine also uh, con commercial aviation pilots. But, for example, has there been any sort of information about a possible collaboration with the United States military in any way? Has there been any discussion yeah, maybe of, of being brought up? Yeah. Yeah, the subject has been brought up by this military. Actually, I, I kind of insisted with him about it because not everybody know, but some people do, that United States military, they have this thing of putting their nose everywhere in the world, especially in South America. Now, especially during the dictatorship, period that we have here, uh, that ended in the uh, early 80s, we had military from the United States in, involved with, with lots of situation in this country. We have documented that U.S. military have been involved, including in UFO investigations, uh, not only in Brazil, but also in other parts of South America. But when you try to bring the subject up with Brazilian military, it kind of hurts someone's feelings. It kind of kind of hurt their pride. They don't want to admit that every now and then they get some assistance, some counseling, or they get some intervention from the U.S. military. So they kind of try to let this thing in the past. Now. This brigadier told me that in the 70s and in the 80s, there were several interventions made by U.S. military in Brazilian soil regarding UFOs. But since hmm. the late 80s, it has not happened again. I don't know if this is entirely true. Not that I don't believe in the, in the brigadier. Of course, I do. But... Well, the military from the United States, they may not be dealing with all the forces in Brazil altogether at the same time. You know, I wanted to just interrupt with a question that kind of occurs to me here. With regard to the U.S. military, what agency are we talking about here? Oh, we're talking military. But, but talking a specific a Air Force, Air Army, Force. Oh, Air Force, okay. Air Force, yes. We're talking military from the Air Force. Especially now, when we have the Virginia case, and it was in 1996, we had military from the U.S. U.S. Air Force uh, down in Brazil, doing things in Virginia, and, uh, the, uh, helping the military from the army. Right. Because 
Virginia case is an army, Brazilian army case. This is why uh, I have doubts that the U.S. are not coming here anymore. I, I believe that the U.S. military are still coming here very often and dealing with the UFO thing with our military on a regular basis. So the person because you talked to, you think he was lying to you? No, no, I don't think he was lying to me. But uh, at his level, uh, perhaps he wouldn't like to admit that this is happening, or perhaps he considered that the interventions from U.S. military are not big deal that he could call them even like intervention. So uh, he kind of said, well, the U.S. military, they are sticking their noses just about everywhere. So they are still doing this here, but not in, in the same level that they used to do in the past, because the interventions in the past were much more complex, much more regular. Now, in the terms of intervention, like, what are we talking about here? Gathering evidence, helping with the investigation, hiding information? Yeah, yeah well, basically, intervention, what I mean is they're coming here, try to find out what we are uh, finding out about the UFOs, try to find out what information that we have, especially those cases that involve military or aviation in general. It could be a military jet being pursued by UFO, or it could be a Boeing, a civilian Boeing pursued by UFO. It would interest U.S. military. So they would come here to get this kind of information. They have been doing this for quite some time. And sometimes they ask our military not to disclose information with the public. And sometimes they even uh, tell us what to do in some cases. And this is something that our military don't seem to like because this seems like an, an, an uh, intrusion. Yeah, well, now, of course. Yeah, that, that will be intrusion. Like in, in 1996, when we started investigating, investigating the Virginia case, right in the first days after it happened, and we discussed the Virginia case in the last program was in, the last podcast, I believe, last year. In the, the first days of the Virginia case, we had military from USA and Virginia talking to military from the Brazilian army and trying to evaluate the situation. Now, if we go back some more 20 years uh, uh, before Virginia, 1977, when we have the Operation Saucer in the Amazon, well, at that moment, we were deep into the dictatorship period, the dictatorship era that we lived in Brazil for like 10 or 15 years or so. And the military from the United States would be here all the time, all the time. And not only here, but also in other dictatorships in South America, like Chile and Argentina, Paraguay, whatever. And especially in Brazil, during the Operation South procedures that took place in the Amazon, they were there all the time. Mm. All the time they were there. The U.S. military were the guys who gave to our military the films 
that were used to document the UFOs in Nelson, they were very high sensitivity films that we didn't have at that time, and it was all provided by the, the U.S. military. The but US, the U.S. military uh, then, AJ, the U.S. military then took all the film, right? They took everything. I think they took part of the material or parts of it, the material, because when the operation source was shut down, uh, back in December 14, 1977, prematurely, it was supposed to last much longer. But when it was shut down, and we can discuss why it was shut down, laughter. When it was shut down, it was ordered, it was decided that the military in the jungle would come back to the base, there were like three dozens of them, and they would turn all material that they have in the possessions to the commandant of that airfield in Berlin. And they did so. It was something like 500 pictures, over 16 hours of film, and about 2,000 pages of reports gathered from the witnesses and the victims. Now, this is, this is another thing that this information, this amount of documentation, now the 2,000 pages of more than 500 pictures and the 16 hours of film of UFOs, we had that information since the very beginning. Since I interviewed back in 1997, the Captain William Geolanda, later Colonel William Geolanda, which was the commandant of the Operation Saucer, when I interviewed him, he gave me that number, all those numbers, and he told me, those are the results of the Operation Saucer. And I asked him, where can I confirm those numbers? And he said, most probably nowhere. No, n nowhere you can find those numbers and confirm them. But right now, on March 8th, when we have this talk, long, long talk, with Brigadier José Carlos this gentleman confirmed those numbers. He said, yes, actually, Operation Saucer resulted in 2,000 pages of reports or in over 500 500 pictures, black and white, of UFOs over the Amazon rivers and over 16 hours of film. Now, we, we weren't able, we weren't able at all to confirm those numbers and at no moment. And now we have that confirmation that came from Brigadier uh, José Carlos Pereira. This is a very significant thing. I'll tell you what's significant. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. I think most of you know that I love radio, and so I decide to look for the ultimate receiver for AM reception because I want outstanding AM reception, day and night, especially night where it gets difficult. So I've discovered that C-Crane CC Radio Plus has earned the reputation of having the best AM reception, which is exactly what C-Crane intended when they designed this gem of a radio, along with its legendary AM reception, it also has excellent FM reception, a weather band, TV audio, and the ability to run on batteries for, and listen to this, 
250 hours. So whether you use it as your bedside radio in your kitchen or at work, the CC Radio Plus will give you the pleasure of clear AM reception. The radio is designed for the clarity of the human voice and the benefits of useful features like five memory buttons per band. They work just like memory buttons in your car, a sleep timer, an alarm clock so you can get up at the right time, and a weather alert that now works as an all-hazards alarm. You know what I want you to do? I want you to buy that radio, but also support this show by visiting techbroadcasting.com slash ccrane. That's techbroadcasting.com slash ccrane to order the CC Radio Plus for $164.95, and that includes free ground shipping and a free ccrane catalog. Place your order today. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. On the Paracast, A.J. Gerverd joins us, and he is the editor of the Brazilian UFO magazine, longtime researcher in Brazil. I'm going to ask an offbeat question, which occurred to me as you were talking about the interactions with different countries. Now, are we hearing anything from Cuba about what they're experiencing in terms of the UFO phenomenon, because obviously in terms of the U.S. and Cuba, it's all closed off to us, a closed-off world. Have you heard anything at all? Well, uh, we have heard something coming from Cuba, but I was expecting that after Fidel passed the government to his brother, who is promoting uh, a, a gradually opening of things there. Now you can buy a cell phone over there. Can you imagine that? Now you can buy, I mean, the Cubans can buy now a computer. (laughs) That might be good or bad depending on your point of view. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's very good. But still they don't, they are not allowed to get internet connection. It's just Uh. for scholars, it's just for foreigners, it's just for members of the party. Mm. You know, people can have computers. There are no cyber cafes or something like that. So it's still very tough, uh, tough to get information from the island. But it's still, every now and then, we get information of what's going on in the UFO scenario. And, and it's just about the same thing that's going on in other islands of the Car- Caribbean and, in, and all over Central America. But now, what surprised us recently, it was like two or three weeks ago, was what's what happened in, in Ecuador. Now, Ecuador now has a president who's totally pro-Chavez, Hugo Chavez from Venezuela. And they, they are in conflict with everybody and always say names to George Bush and the United States. They don't like Americans there pretty much. But Ecuador, anyway, really? Okay. Yes, Ecuador. They are very anti-Americans there. Very anti-Americans. I would say that even more than in Venezuela. But uh, look what happened just recently, just after there was an invasion of Equatorian T- 
territorial, Equatorian land by Colombia, who attacked the, the terrorists from the FARC. And it was a big thing because Ecuador made a lot of protests internationally. So uh, he was, uh, Ecuador was joined by Nicaragua, and of course in Venezuela, and they all made a very big thing. They wanted to launch some war against uh, Colombia and this and that. That was a big steer that, that resulted in nothing because it was just uh, uh, something that the, uh, Colombia should do because the terrorists, the guerrillas, were uh, been hiding under the Equatorian umbrella in the jungle of Ecuador. But anyway, after that big steer, the president of Ecuador came up with a very big surprise for everybody. He denounced his own military high ranks, the very top circles of military in Ecuador. He was the one who disclosed and who said they have been bought by the CIA he was talking about their, his own huh. military that he, really? of course, inherited from other governments. But the, the, the top ranks of Equatorian military was denounced by the president of Ecuador, who said, Rafael said, now, the, our top-ranking military was bought by the U.S. military, by the CIA, to hide information from our people, including information about UFOs in Ecuador. The CIA no. told them? Yes. Yeah. The CIA. That, that, that doesn't make any sense, AJ. That, that, that sounds strange. Why would they do that? Why would Rafael do that? Or why would the CIA, why would the CIA tell the Ecuadorians, you have to hide this information? From your own people. I don't know. I don't know. But that, that was an allegation made by Raphael. It was very strange. Now, we know that CIA is behind most of the UFO cover-up in the world. CIA and other agencies. When we say CIA, we mean uh, intelligence uh, community, uh, especially CIA internationally. Now, they are dealing with uh, governments in a very high level in all over the world, especially in South America. But and for many decades, Ecuador was very pro-American. Now, what Rafael is saying is that the military from Ecuador for decades have been hiding information, well, everything in general, from Equatorian people, and given information about what's going on in the country to CIA. Yeah, that, but that's what was alleged. But he didn't get anything. information about UFOs in the country. It means that the military would be hiding just about everything that's going on in the country from the Ecuadorian people. Just like in Brazil. Now, we know that our government is hiding from us a lot of things, including UFO stuff. Now, if someone says, well, our military is hiding this sort of information about this, this, and that, including UFOs from our people because CIA says so, that's something, really something extraordinary. I don't know if this is going to change anything in that country. See, I think but in the United States... We, we have someone saying that loud. Yeah, but it's interesting that you introduced the CIA into this discussion, because in the United States, 
I think a, a majority of the feelings are that the organizations that are withholding information are groups inside of the military that don't answer to anybody, much less the CIA. You see, one of the things that's happened in the Bush years in this country, to my understanding, is that there has been a lot of divisiveness, a lot of fighting between the military and the CIA and the Pentagon and then the different, the different branches of the military. So when, you know, we hear that, that going back to Virginia for a minute, that supposedly there was a being captured live. And, and supposedly, I, I, I don't know what I, what I believe with that, but then what I read was that the U.S. military, not the CIA, but the U.S. military supposedly came in and took the being. Did, have you heard of the story? Yes, yes, I've heard of that story, yes. Actually, so, they, they didn't come and take the creature. The two creatures were captured. They were almost dying when they were captured, and they offered no resistance whatsoever. But just after they were captured, they died, and they were delivered at some forensic uh, lab in some university in Sao Paulo. And what we know is that one creature was kept here, and another creature, along with a lot of wreckage found at the crash scene, was taken to the United States mm. by the military. Actually, the plane that was used to take it to the United States is the same plane. I don't remember. It's a Galaxy or a Buffalo. It's one of those big military uh, transport uh, planes that come every week from the United States to Brazil to uh, supply U.S. Consulates, consulates and embassies in Brazil and other parts of South America with, with everything. Because, see, the, the U.S. consulates and embassies down here, even the toilet paper come from the United States. Even the water they drink come from the United States. So there's a plane that comes every week bringing all this material and it gets back to the uh, United States almost empty. In that particular time, this plane made a detour to land in Campinas, which is in the state of Sao Paulo, just south of Virginia, and took one of the creatures and, and, and some of the wreckage and took all the way to the United States. There was a landing, a stopover in Panama, and the, and the plane was, uh, was then, its final destination was uh, China Lake in Southern California. You know, there used to be only two ways, neighbors, to meet for business, over the phone or in person. Well, now there's a better way. Use GoToMeeting to meet online. With GoToMeeting, everyone sees your computer desktop on their computer screen. So you get the best of both worlds. It's like meeting in person, but without wasting time and money traveling. And you know what the airlines are doing these days. It's a complete mess. And remember this, your conference calls will be more effective. The best part is that you can try GoToMeeting free right now for 30 days. For this special offer, you must visit www.gotomeeting.com slash podcasts. That's gotomeeting.com slash podcasts for a free trial. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. 
You never know what's going to happen next. We're talking with A.J. Gervaird, our friendly UFO investigator from Brazil, and we're talking about the recovery of alleged bodies of UFO entities. Okay, we know, how do we know this? How do we prove this? It's very tough to prove it. Now, like the Virginia case, it's a big, big puzzle. You know, like a thousand pieces. You know those puzzles that you oh, yeah. pay months to to get any figure out of that. What we had was lucky at the first moment because when the Virginia case happened, it happened just a few blocks from the residence of a very active and a very accurate and diligent UFO researcher in Brazil, which was the co-editor of the Brazilian UFO magazine, which I'm the editor. And this guy, he started investigating the case right after it happened and informed us all, all over the country, that a crash took place just a couple of nights ago and the some creatures were captured just yesterday, and, and it allowed us to go to Virginia right in the, na- in, in the next hours and days after it happened, to start investigating the case just immediately after it happened. It was very, very important to this case, because the military was not prepared to our action. They were not expecting us to arrive in the town like we did. We, like 20 or 30 of us, arrived in Virginia. The case happened for, uh, uh, during the, the midnight uh, to the morning from Saturday, from a Friday to a Saturday. In the, in the that Saturday morning, the first creature was captured, January 20, 1996. And we started arriving in Virginia on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday. So the military was not yet, have not yet set up a cover-up over it. They start doing the cover-up just a few days after we start investigating the case. Then we could find a lot of witnesses willing to talk and a lot of information, even in the streets where we could walk. We could talk to people who saw the capture procedures. Now, the government, and especially the military at that occasion, have not been prepared for our action. They did not expect us to be so fast, so diligent as we were. And this allowed us to get in possession of a lot of pieces in this big puzzle. Like, we have so far something like 130, 140 first-hand witnesses who saw either the, the aliens walking by, walking by close to the town, or being captured by the military and the fire department guys, or, or saw the creatures at the hospitals. One creature, the second one that was captured, was taken to two different hospitals. There were doctors there. There were nurses there. There were other patients there. And we have their witnesses. Did you speak... Did doctors that actually examined these creatures? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I talked to two of them. Did uh, they give you their... Did they, they, did they go on the record with their names? They did. 
They did. They did. Yes, we have their names, and we have published their names. At the first time I published that information, I decided to leave their names out of this because I felt that they could suffer any kind of uh, harassment. Mm -hmm. But when we decided to go further in this question, publishing more information about it, I was given permission, well, I was given permission since the first time to disclose the guy's name, and I published it. No problem. Talk about harassment, though, and I want to go into that for a second. Now, have there been consequences in publishing their names in your magazine? No. No, no consequences. Now, but I want to ask you, what about you? Have you ever suffered any consequences that you can directly relate to your well-known interest in UFOs, the fact that you are a worldwide public figure, etc., etc.? No, I have never. Okay. Except in the very beginning, I, I when I came into possession of some documents from the Brazilian Air Force when my magazine was just starting in the 80s. I sent someone a letter at the Brazilian uh, Airspace Command asking them permission to publish those, those documents that I had in my possession and they said that I wasn't supposed to do so and if I did so I could suffer some consequences and I decided to go ahead and publish anyway. And I even published their letter where they threatened me mm. and nothing happened. Okay, the reason I ask you that is because some months back you had a robbery at your office. Was this just criminals who made you the victim or do you think there might be a relationship? It's a little bigger than a regular crime. Because when we suffered that robbery here, it, it happened in July 30 last year, during a night from, from a Sunday to a Monday. And when we suffered this, a very interesting thing happened. Like, we had eight computers in this office. It's, it's a house that we rent, we have eight people moving here, everybody has a computer. Now, only four of the computers were taken, just the ones used directly in the production of the magazine, the website, and in the administration of the magazine. All right, so let me just interrupt there for a second, AJ. Okay, you say that four of the computers, the four that were stolen, were computers that had UFO-related data on it. Did you have backup files anywhere so in case something happens to the computers, you could restore this? Yes, uh, we had like 85, 90% of everything on backup files and DVDs and everything. No, but the most strange thing is that they took the four main computers that we have and they didn't even touch the other four. So they knew that the other four were not important at all. Were the four computers they took better machines? Yes, they were better machines, but now for regular thieves, and the police told us that, there is no better or worse, they just take everything. Now, oh. I have just next to the computer that was in my, my room that was taken, I had a professional DVD copier. A very good uh -huh. one, and I have an external uh, external uh, HD. Now, the DVD copier wasn't taken because it had no data. It was just a machine, but the external HD was taken because it had it had information. And I had a big cup, a big cup HD, in a cabinet 
that was taken also, and plus a few files that I have, a few folders that I had here in my office that I can't imagine why, why yeah, a, a, thief a wouldn't criminal take would take something yeah. like that. No. All right, that's starting to sound a little suspicious here. Because Very suspicious. Very. Now, we have three teams of policemen working on this, and one, one of these teams gave up just shortly after it started, and the other, one, the other two ones uh, took a little longer. Eventually, we had, uh, at some points, only one, one team of uh, people working on this, and they, they have uh, very strong suspicions on who could have done this, so we do also have suspicion, but we can't prove anything. Right. Okay, well, let's talk about the suspicions very briefly. We understand you can't prove anything, and certainly you can't until you arrest the people. Do you think there were people who had some involvement in UFO investigation or what? In UFOs, but not in UFOs investigation. Now, uh, since we started doing the magazine back 25 years ago, we have been stepping in a few uh, toes. Especially like uh, 12 or 13 years ago, we denounced a few UFO sect movements, religious movements that were designed only to collect money from people who were lost about UFOs. They would be attracted with uh, very beautiful stories and they would be ripped off with the money and we have denounced that we have disclosed that to the nation to the general media and of course we did that uh, ufologically and what we disclosed what we denounced was that there was a scheme to, to deprive people from their money using the UFO thing uh, illegally on a, on a malicious basis and we have that disclosed and because of that we suffered a lot of consequences we, I, I was personally threatened. My life was threatened. My son's life was were, were threatened. So at some point, I decided to give up any kind of denouncing activity against whoever. Now, when something is going on in Brazil that of people who are using the UFOs to cheat other people. And someone come to us and said, I was a victim of this scheme, of this fraud. All I do is go to the police. I don't want to do anything about it. I don't want to know. Now, of course, we have in the U.S. the men in black phenomenon. Now, we haven't had too much about that going on in recent years. But have you confronted people like that in your UFO investigations? Not in Brazil. No. I have no knowledge of any cases of men back in Brazil at all. I want to go back to Virginia for a second, AJ. You said you, you arrived there very, very soon after the supposed crash happened. Did you and see... And a few other UFO researchers, yes. And a few other people. So did you guys see American military there that weekend? Not, not me. Not me. Uh, some of my colleagues, yes, they did. And some of the witnesses that we talked to, they told us that they have been interviewed by Brazilian army personnel, which were together foreigners. And during that week, we checked in a few hotels in the town. And you can see in the hotel's uh, lockbook that Americans have been checking in the same hotels that we were. Mm. 
And, this is and were medicals, medical doctors that were sent from the U.S. Embassy and consulate, actually, in Sao Paulo to try to assist in, in anything that would be necessary to deal with the creatures captured after the first two. Because the first two is what we have been always informing people. That there were two creatures captured because we have all the witnesses about it. We have the details of it. But there are information yet to be confirmed of at least all the five creatures that were also captured during that week. But about those captures, we don't have any proof that we can present. So we prefer don't go into the details until we have proof to present. What and about during it? that week, some of that that those creatures could have been taken to hospitals, just like the first the first two, and eventually were assisted by U.S. doctors that arrived in Virginia right on Monday and Tuesday mm -hmm. to assist what was going on. What about if a craft went down? What about pieces of the craft? Nobody, no civilians went to this crash site to try to get something? Yes, 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 yes. So? Yes, we have several witnesses of people who saw a lot of wreckage in some area, something like six or seven miles from Virginia. Now, Virginia is a small town. It's like 120, perhaps now 140,000 people. And it's, uh, it's like uh, 25, 30 miles from another town called Tres Corações, Three Hearts, from where the military went to Virginia. Because the military base, the army base, is in Tres Corações, not in Virginia. And the UFO crashed in the, in the road, or close to the road, that linked those two cities. Now, there was someone that was an ultralight pilot who was going for a championship of ultralight airplanes, and he saw this object coming down, and he went back in, in secondary roads to see uh, how close he could get to the crash site, what he believed that was a crash site, and it actually was a crash site, and he could get very close, he could see at some distance the wreckage, and right after that, he saw some trucks from the army arriving and performing a, a very detailed operation of cleaning up everything. You spoke to this man? Yes, I did. Did and he? several several other people. Okay. Did they see anything like jet fighters engaging this craft? What was the idea behind why it came down? Nobody knows. Know. Nobody knows. See, this Actually, is where the information that, 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 that an, an unidentified flying object was coming down in Brazil first came from NORAD. The so North they tracked this. Right. They tracked this thing coming this in. Object coming down and at some portion of South Brazil, central South Brazil, and they informed our military, air defense system, and this object was tracked down, tracked it uh, coming down to some point in the central south portion of Brazil and never coming up. So they, uh, they presumed that it crashed. Hey listeners, did you know that Fate is the oldest and best known publication on the paranormal? 
Well, since 1948, fate has provided their readers with fascinating in-depth articles on subjects like psychics and spiritualists, ghosts and hauntings, UFOs and aliens, as well as readers' true personal mystical experiences. For under $20, you can keep up with all the latest information. To subscribe, call now at one 800 728 2730 or visit Fate's website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. So what are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. We'll presume this on the Paracast. We're talking to A.J. Gerfaird, our friend from the Brazilian UFO magazine in Brazil, obviously a long, long time researcher. And we're talking about the Virginia UFO incident, which is the modern day equivalent, as modern as an event of 12 years ago can be, of the Roswell crash. David? So, A.J., um, where did you hear that? the Brazilian military had been informed by NORAD. How good is that information? Well, that is pretty good information. We had that from one of our military, military sources. Now, this is another thing about Virginia. We have several military informants, including some of the people involved in the capture procedures of the witnesses. These people came to us because they just couldn't live with that. And they wanted to tell us what happened. So they came to us and they identified themselves and they were very scary, very frightened of what could happen to them. So they asked us to not disclose their identity. So far we have 12 military witnesses who are still in the service that came to us and gave us their report of what happened. Some of them were drivers uh, driving trucks here and there, taking uh, a creature or taking pieces of wreckage. Some of the, the witnesses are people that were working inside the, hardcore, the HQ and have been dealing with the information, the reports that were produced. So lots of pieces of this puzzle and the, the, main, the main ones, the most important ones came from the military personnel involved. Mm-hmm. Did so, I ever mention to you that one of the military died after, the, after capturing the creature? One of the police officers, right, that had actually held yes. the creature? Yes. Yes, um, he was a military police officer. Right, and he, he was a healthy man that, he, I guess he held this creature and then within, what, maybe two or three weeks, or was it months that he had, yes, he had died? Yes, two and a half weeks, he died of uh, some sort of uh, infection. An infection that you would kill with a $5 pill, you know, some, some $5. Uh, whoa, whoa. Okay, so it's a so, simple yeah. thing to cure, but he died of this infection anyway. Why didn't they treat him? Because his immune system was shut down. Anything could kill him. A, a small flu would kill him. Okay, so Any he reached a point where it was impossible to treat him with anything. Yes. You know, he, he died from a disease that any one of us gets almost every day. 
Oh, any okay. kind of infection. He had immunodeficiency, uh, well, immune system in, in his body it was shut down for some reason. Now, because he, he touched the creature with his bare hands. He put he, the creature, the second creature catcher, he put the creature cat in his own lap and took it to the hospital. When you see the burning is under this perspective, it makes some sense that the military wouldn't disclose the information right away about it, especially when it comes to which they, it's the tough military that they have in Brazil, the army, much more than well, I don't think anyone would if they know that these creatures are capable of killing human beings because of some kind of infection. Now, here's a question, though. I mean, so he dies, and I, is he buried in a cemetery? Yes, he was buried in a cemetery. Well, he left a willow, which was, she was six months pregnant. So you spoke to the widow, right? Yes. Okay. And all the family. Now, and she was very pissed off with, uh, with the, his superiors because, first, he was not supposed to be working that weekend. He was on leave. He was at home. He was called upon. He was called upon to get back to work while she, he was not supposed to. He was on leave. And second, the superiors at the military police denied the death certificate to the family for one solid year. One solid year. They denied assistance, they denied information, and they denied the death certificate of the poor man to the widow for one well, solid year. So, so AJ, no, this is terrible, but in that situation, I think maybe the family then says, you know what? We want to have someone else do an autopsy on this body, on his body. Let's dig him up and let's do an autopsy that has nothing to do with the military. Would they consider something yeah. like that? No, they didn't because these people are very simple. These people are very, well, modest people. They wouldn't be so bold, uh, so daring to do something like that. Besides, mm. they are very religious, religious and... I would assume then they would also accept the military as being an authority that you trust. Yes, that you trust and that you fear. You see, in this country, we don't trust anybody anymore. We don't trust the military. We don't trust the president. We don't trust Congress. <laughs> well, I tell you, we don't trust anybody in Brazil either, especially our politicians. Well, you know, politicians, you know they're lying when their lips move. So, AJ, <laughs> here, here you've got a magazine in Brazil. Uh, yes. Two questions. A, why don't you make your magazine in Spanish? And B, why don't you convert your magazine to English? Because we need a good UFO magazine from South well, America. So many, well, but see, so many of the cases that are happening down there, only Scott Corrales is the only one who translates these things into English. Isn't there more of a potential market in the, in the English-speaking world? Yes, by all means. As a matter of fact, the last October... Last year, I spent a solid month in the United States, in California. Me and, uh, and Dr. Roger, here from Thousand Oaks, we have a partnership, right. and uh, we have started something that would become a magazine called the UFO Global Edition. It's patent. We have a, a small company to deal with that. We tried to start this new magazine over there but we're still missing some funds so if anyone listing us 
listening to us would like to fund the, uh, a very good UFO magazine with information from all over the world, we would love to hear from him. In the meantime, well, couldn't you just put the information on the Internet, set up a site to publish this information? Because the costs of running a site are certainly a lot less than putting it all into print. Yes, well, it could be done. It could be done. Right now, the idea was to make a magazine because with a magazine, which is some solid, you can reach more people where people has to be reached. Now, Internet has a very big penetration, but uh, magazines is still the thing. People want to have paper. Now, our magazine is, is like 25 years old. It's the long-living magazine in the world about UFOs now. There's nothing that is older than what we would offer our magazine here. AJ, what so, kind of circulation do you have inside of Brazil? We have about 35,000 now. It could be at least three times more, three times bigger than that in the United States. Now, I, so. I, that's something that I really don't understand. In all the United States, which has a market that is at least ten times bigger than Brazilian, there is only one magazine about UFOs, which is UFO magazine from California, which right. is a very good one, but it's only one. There is, there is room for many others. And, and they've tried them over the years, and a lot of them have failed. But the problem is they were often put out by companies with no real interest in UFOs. They were interested in putting out a lot of magazines on different subjects, and kind of like they do in show business where you throw a lot of tacks in the air and hope that one's going to stick. Um, I see. I see what you're doing. Well, also, the cost of starting up a magazine today, now, a magazine is only one component in a media strategy. The perception is that you can actually have a website that's more successful because you don't have shipping costs for paper. You don't have distribution costs to get that paper into stores. And so much of the advertising has now gone to the Internet that at this point, I think a lot of publishers would only look at a magazine as part of, of an overall Internet strategy. And this is why I think, AJ, that with your content, given that it's really, it's really specialized in South America where there has been so much UFO activity, you know, the question, of course, being how much effort would you require to translate things into English and put them on the web, this would not oh, that's harm That's not your... a big deal. That, well, that's not it a would, big deal. It would be a big deal for you to increase your readership, not only in the United mm -hmm. States, but what we found with the Paracast is that we have a huge fan base in the United Kingdom. We have a huge fan base in Australia. A lot of people listen to the show in Australia. You would be very surprised. Well, there's a bigger English-speaking world than America, and quite frankly, it's it's a pity that your content is not reaching the the English-speaking audience because the whole thing is that in South America there has been such consistent UFO activity that most American researchers, AJ, they have no idea that it exists. And the problem is that the main person who speaks Spanish, who's been a crossover, is Jaime Moisan. And Jaime Moisan's credibility right now has been suffering. So he is the face of Hispanic ufology in the United States. And this is something that we are going to change. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, I don't want to make an offer here, but I will. I have an extra web server. And I have the capability 
of putting your site on that server up to a point. I mean, I can't obviously fund it limitlessly, but I have the server availability. If you were interested in putting an English translation of your magazine online, you contact me by email and mm-hmm. at least temporarily for a few months till you get your feet. Well, sure. it's not even maybe it's not even the whole magazine, AJ. Maybe it's the two top stories in the magazine every yes, month. Yes, I know what you sure, mean. Yes, sure. right now we have a system like that in Brazil. We have the printed magazine, and we have sort of a virtual digital version, but in Portuguese over the web. Our our website is very well visited. We have like fifteen, sixteen thousand visits per day, hits per day. It's it's a bit. The most visited, the most accessed uh, UFO website in Brazil. Uh, in Portuguese, I guess, the, 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 uh, when it comes to websites of UFOs in Portuguese, I think that ours is the, by far the, the most uh, visited one. I would now, believe we, we have done this. We have put some of our best stories into English, uh, counting with the assistance of a few volunteers, and then we spread the word. Like, we send this material out uh, when we have something very interesting like the interview with the Brigadier José Carlos Pereira. It was something that we realized shouldn't be kept for us in Brazil and Portuguese. So our volunteers put the, the material in English and we sent to like a hundred of people. Now it's in lots of websites and uh, lots of blogs and everything. Now this is something very interesting to be done. What we haven't been done yet is to go and put more information, not only our top stories, but most of our stories. They could go into English and go into a website, just like the one that you suggested. That's something that can be thought about. But right now, one of our limitations is time. Our team is very small, and we are tied with big limitations. Like, I have to work like 14, 16 hours a day, almost every day, to get the magazine done, and I will also produce one or two books per month, and I have the website to take care of, and a few other things. So it's very complicated. Yeah. And there is the money factor. When you have funding, then you can hire people that can do a sure. few things for you. Sure, of course. And the more money you have, the better people you can hire. Right now, we don't have the funding. AJ, Gene is Bill Gates' second cousin. So Gene... <laughs> yeah, right, his poor second cousin. Gene, Very poor. No, Gene, don't try to lie about this. <laughs> Gene, Gene is Did Bill Gates' second cousin. we have to talk? Yeah, yeah. Gene is Bill Gates' second cousin. So we'll talk about that in the next hour. We will. Okay, so seriously yeah. speaking, we're completing our first hour with... A.J. Gavard, the editor of Brazil UFO Magazines. For those who want to check the site in the original Portuguese, where do they go, by the way? UFO.com.br for Brazil. UFO.com.br for Brazil. That's the Brazilian domain designation. And you'll find it in Portuguese, but we do hope we'll work with you, if you're willing to, maybe get some of that content, the best, most important content up in English. But we'll pursue that on the other side of the hour on the PowerCast. 
We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and gene and data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. So here we are, all alone by ourselves. I don't hear any crickets, though. You don't? Yeah, if you're alone, you're supposed to hear like crickets. I can't do the crickets like Bill Hicks could. Oh, okay. Yeah, so here we are alone, lonely. Right, basically because AJ was not available to do a second hour. Oh, stop it. See, I I told you, you're going to do this. Don't do this. The man is running a business. He's running around with with craziness going on, and he's got a UFO magazine. We know how weird that can be, right, Bill? (laughs) Okay. So... No, I mean, he, okay. he got caught up. Yeah, yeah, no. There was a bunch of stuff we wanted to talk about as far as uh, the flap of uh, sightings that's been going on in Argentina for the past couple of years. But we can get back to him with that. Sure. He's, he's a friend of the show. He's always welcome on. And he uh, he got a little tied up this week, so we only have the, the one hour with him. Okay, um, well, we'll have another hour. But there have been some interesting developments this week. More information being released by the Ministry of Defense in the U.K. Anything really good, though? I looked, started looking at some of that stuff. I didn't find anything... Really, really juicy. Now, actually, there was one that involved, I think, some air traffic controllers and a craft that was hanging above an airport, kind of like the O'Hare case. Right. That Except, had some yeah. potential. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that was one case. Of course, they came out with the same thing, of course, that we see no evidence that we are being visited by extraterrestrials. But there was one other development, and we'll get back to the Ministry of Defense in a moment. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the subjects that people like to raise is how will organized religion be affected with the news that we're being visited by beings from elsewhere and when i say elsewhere i don't necessarily mean from outer space but that's a possibility they could be from other dimensions other times another civilization that coexists with us that covers most of the basis so how is organized religion going to handle this well there's a story from the associated press that came out this week and i'll read a couple of paragraphs for you The Vatican's chief astronomer says that believing in aliens does not contradict faith in God. Okay? And that's like, that's kind of like saying that believing in turkey dogs doesn't diminish the taste and the flavor of beef dogs. Well, basically, basically the interview was headlined, The Extraterrestrial is My Brother. And he says that aliens would still be God's creatures. Therefore, there is nothing wrong in there being aliens, and therefore, it's all fine. I see. Okay. So the Vatican gives its green light to the idea that there's life elsewhere in the universe. I am so relieved. Come on. What? What? What is this? It only means here that, for example, they are not going to say anything that's going to contradict the possibility of something happening. But the question I would have is not so much about Christian-based religions, and I expect Judaism would be the same. But Mm -hmm. what about the other religions in the world, like Muslims? And the Buddhists. Right. How would they react? And the Church of the Subgenius. That's not the Church of the Subgenius. Right. We're expecting the return of the true masters of reality. See, in the Church of the Subgenius, we try to be as pragmatic as possible. And, uh, you know, pragmatism is what we're about. But, you know, bottom line, Gene, is that 
in many ways, the belief in the paranormal has become, for many people, I think, a proxy religion. More belief in stuff that they have no tangible evidence of. I mean, arguably, for a lot of the people who believe in paranormal stuff the way that they would normally uh, prescribe to a religious belief system, um, they feel they have more proof. Once someone sees a ghost or once someone sees a UFO, then you can, in your own mind, create a context by where you say, okay, I have touched the face of the paranormal, and so I have to believe in it because I've seen it, because I've experienced it. And, of course, that closely mirrors the kinds of transcendent experiences that uh, shamans have, that and maybe the kids at Fatima had, uh, that perhaps other people in their personal lives, they have, you know, a dream where they feel Jesus comes to them and speaks to them. And so now they've been touched by the soul of Jesus directly. And now they have this one-on-one relationship. I think it all comes right back, Gene, to the idea that people need an element of mysticism in their lives in order to provide something, I don't know, I guess in layperson's terms, to look forward to. You know, something that gives them a hope beyond their mundane surroundings, that gives them something that that they can't touch. This is like, you know, you look at the way the best stories are crafted or the best movies are crafted. And if if you look at the history of storytelling and media, it's pretty obvious, I think, that people want mystery. People want to have unresolved questions because... That is, it's like, again, it's like our minds need that in order to be comfortable with the often harsh, often uncomfortable reality that really surrounds us. So whether it's UFOs or Jesus or God or Mohammed or Buddha, you know, we're, we're, we're right back to having faith. And I think that's the key term here. Faith in the things that we can't directly see, faith in the things that we can't grab a hold of, because that's part of who we are. That's part of what we need. And and really, in modern times, uh, people have faith in technology. People have faith in the paranormal. And again, it's it really it's these are all just belief systems. So if the Vatican has anything to worry about, it's that their brand would be diluted because now there'd be something potentially more tangible, more mystical. For people to believe in. But if they say, well, these are also God's children, that's fine. Unless the aliens come down and say, hey, guys, we are the ones who seated you here on Earth. Well, then they are your masters in that sense. And by the way, there is no God. What do they do then? then? Well, then the church screams their demons don't trust them. Well, you know, some some religions have done that already. They have said that. The visitors and UFOs are, of course, products of the devil. Who said this? There is some, well, I'll tell you what, there is one religion that my wife's late uncle was associated with, kind of a Jews for Jesus movement. And I read a science fiction story that they presented, which was based on their belief, based mm-hmm. on their factual belief, which is that, yes, there are UFOs or flying saucers, but those are sent by creatures who were dispatched by the devil. You said something very telling, though. Factual belief. How can you have a factual belief system? Well, you don't, of course. Well, that was their, that was their particular belief system, that 
the but you know having aliens involved with religions is not unusual you know some of the so-called black liberation movements believed in things from other planets what this is news to me what do you sure, mean sure sure well if you remember back in the 60s and 70s muhammad ali was a disciple of what elijah muhammad and one of their belief systems was that there were aliens out there oh, boy humans are capable of the most ridiculous stuff aren't they aren't well, they things like well i mean look at head cheese <laughs> you ever seen head cheese in a supermarket no it has yes you have you've seen it in fact years ago i got the supermarket near me to slice a few slices of head cheese really thin and i slapped them on a flatbed scanner plate and, and scanned them really high res Oh man! And you gave it to Just, Billy Meyer, and Billy Meyer used it for oh, one of his photographs. The hell with Billy Meyer! No, no, no! I gave it to my buddy Chuck Farnham, but that's a whole other story for another time. No, head cheese is uh, is one of those things that there's just no way it should even exist. Yet it does. Really, I mean, it's just it's foul. That the idea that anybody would eat it, that anybody would let it touch their plate, it's just it's insane. It's sick. It's like it's like the scene from the Indiana Jones movie where they're eating the monkey brains. Right. Just, you know, well, you just know, so there's the kind of show we have here. We start with UFOs. We start yeah. with religious attitudes towards creatures from other planets. And right. then we're into head cheese. Well, people can believe that the most ridiculous things are good. You know, people, there are a whole bunch of people out there that eat raw fish. I don't understand this. This makes no sense to me. I mean, you, you have fire, you have fish. You put fish on fire, you cook fish. Mm, good. You have fish, it's raw. It's disgusting. People pay a lot of money to put raw fish in their mouths. They pay yeah. more money for the raw fish than they pay than the for the fish stuff. that's cooked. Yes. Yeah. That yeah. doesn't make any sense to me. Then no, on the other hand, sense. if you buy bottled water, right? you buy bottled water from one of the premium brands, okay, right. like Fiji yeah. or right. Evian, and you pay more money than a gallon of gas. Uh, 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 Evian, naive backwards. There's your clue. Really, it's Evian. Flip it backwards. Naive. That's what it says. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I'm just just to throw the conspiracy theories out there on the Barbie, because we're coming into the summertime. It's time to rustle up the weird conspiracy theories and throw them on the grill. So Paul is dead. Uh. <laughs> At the end of Strawberry Fields Forever, did someone say oh, I buried man. Paul? Yeah, I think that was that was Heather Mills buried him. <laughs> she tried, but she only got like five percent of his money. She had both legs. She might have gotten more. Anyway, she would have gotten five and a half percent. There we go. We just—I just heard the last Paracast listener turn off his computer. I think you hear that? Yes. You know, I was always interested in how meeting people that maybe you've demonized to some degree is so different than what your expectations might be. So when you encountered Jim Dilatoso, and yeah. we didn't talk about this very much, you encountered Jim Dilatoso in a bar. And you're at mm-hmm. the X conference. And we had the interview here. And I know some people might have had a little difficulty on low end speakers because yeah, of all the do? background noise. What could we do? Right. We did our best. We actually got rid of probably about half of the noise. It was a lot worse before yeah. we went through the editors and the processors and all that stuff. Okay. Now we, of course, have regarded him as being a follower of, you know, who with one and a half arms. But sure. or one arm, and he seemed to be a rather more reasonable person in retrospect, considering that interview. What did you go into that with 
what kind of expectation and what do you think of Jim Dilatoso now? So that, that's a really good question. And uh, what I would say to you is that I, I knew a little bit about the guy uh, because of looking into photo analysis issues with old Billy Meyer photos. I knew that he was someone who had been referenced and had been used to validate some of these photographs. I mean, and you know, so right off the bat, I had issues with whatever technical skills he would have. The way that it, it ended up going down in the bar was that he literally came up to me. I recognized him because I've seen pictures of him. And I, I leaned over and I said, hey, Jeff, look at this. Isn't that Dilatoso? And Jeff said, no, nah, that's not Dilatoso. And it had been years since Jeff had seen him as well. So when he came up and introduced himself to me, it was kind of funny how he started it. He, you know, are you David Biedney? Yeah. Well, uh, I've heard a lot about you from a mutual friend of ours, Michael McKay. So already I realized that this, this is a guy who had hung with certain circles because of McKay. McKay is a guy who's pretty, pretty deeply entrenched in the high end computer technology world. He's one of these guys who you don't read about. A lot, but he's in the background of a lot of fairly high-end projects. And uh, I had met McKay um, working on this interactive TV project in Amsterdam that uh, Microsoft had a large interest in. And uh, it's a long story, but McKay and I just really met each other and just become instant friends. It's one of those things where it was sort of like... And this is interesting because it's happened more than a few times in my life, Gene, where you, you meet somebody... And you start talking to them, and it really is like you're picking up an old conversation. My very first conversation I ever had with Susan, it's really kind of the same thing. Uh, it was kind of weird in that very first time we ever spoke, and it was just completely sort of an odd thing. The very first time we spoke, we got into paranormal topics, Susan and I. Very unusual, very weird, probably the only time it's ever happened with me. Um but the point is that meeting McKay was like meeting this long-lost friend, and I had a pretty good sense for the kind of circles McKay moved in. So when I've got Dilatoso saying, oh, yeah, I heard all about you through McKay, I have to be honest, that already sorted him out from a lot of people I might have otherwise spoken to. It put that. him a couple of steps above. We have William Burns, the publisher of UFO Magazine, on hand, and he has a special offer for listeners of the Paracast. We are offering six issues for the price of five. Normally, when you send me a subscription for $19.95, a new subscription, you get five issues. It's our introductory offer. But just for our friends on the Paracast and friends of Gene and Dave, we're going to throw in an extra issue and give you six issues for the price of five. That's six issues. Issues for $19.99 just for you. How do we take advantage of this offer? There are three ways to take advantage of it. One is if you're online, go to www.ufomag.com, hit subscribe when you come to the PayPal page, just put in under item Paracast Offer 1995, and I will know that you get six issues for the price of five, or you could send your check or money order to UFO Magazine, Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California. That's Ray spelled R-E-Y, California, 90295. Put down your name and your address, and on your name and address label, put down 
Paracast offer, you can also put it on your check for 1995 in your money order. I will know exactly what it means because I'm psychic, and I will credit you with six issues instead of five for that 1995. Or you can call me at 1-888-UFO-6242, and I will take your name and address and your credit card and send you six issues for the price of five, and that's how you do it. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. A couple of steps above that is the fact that on the PowerCast, Gene and David are here talking to each other. And right. we're just, we haven't had really much time to really sit back, you know, take off our shoes and just relax and, and talk over some of the stuff. world, yeah. you know, and go over the stuff that we've brought about. So, all right. So basically, you and Jim Dotoso share a friendship with somebody who you hold in high regard. Well, it's not just it's not just McKay. It turns out that Dilatoso worked with uh, one of my closest friends in the world, uh, Andy Niedermeyer, someone who uh, is absolutely fascinating guy, one of the most brilliant video technicians like on the planet, a longtime ILM freelancer. And uh, if you're in the Bay Area and you go looking for video techs, Andy is usually the first or second name on the list. I and mean, the guy knows everybody had been involved uh, in the AV world, the audiovisual world, for many, many years, and um, had been deeply entrenched up in Seattle for many years with a company that did all sorts of high-end visual projection stuff. If you think about things like the weird oil light shows that used to be projected at early Pink Floyd shows or early shows from The Doors, to a large degree, Andy was involved with a lot of that stuff. So he was something, he was someone who was just very well known. And actually, Andy's father, Seth Niedermeyer, worked on the Manhattan Project and, uh, was the discoverer of the positron. So, you know, data, data from Star Trek has a brain because of Andy's dad, boom, boom. But, um, Andy was someone who just, again, someone who I trust with my life, one of my oldest, closest friends. Without a doubt. In fact, I, I usually, when I call Andy up, I, I call him Dada, which is, you know, shorthand for dad. He's just, uh, we're very tight. Whenever I go to California, I typically uh, stay with Andy and his uh, lovely significant other, Elaine, two of my closest friends in the world. So when Dilatoso, I don't know how it came up that Dilatoso knew Andy as well. Here, Dilatoso knew people who I uh, am very close to. So, yeah, that already put him in a different level in my eyes. And, and speaking to him, I mean, one of the first things that I ended up asking him at this bar was, so, uh, you know, uh, Jeff and I have put time into debunking the Meyer nonsense. And so, gee, Jim, what do you think about those wedding cake photos? And he just looked at me. He didn't even hesitate. He just said, oh, well, those are obviously models. And you had to see Jeff. Jeff was, like, exploding in, in, at the bar. He was just... He wanted to jump out of his skin when he heard Dilatosa say that. And he said, gee, Jim, will you say that on tape for the record? And Dilatosa's like, sure, I will. Why? What, what's the deal with this? And we told him about how Horn has been using him as a credibility chip 
in the whole discussion of the images. And, and he was genuinely surprised. He's like, why is that guy using my name? So it's just more, you know, more sort of support for the idea that, you know, Horn is delusional and is a, de a deceptive person. What's interesting but, here is that so that. many of the people that we check on or other people check on supposedly who are cited as supporters mm -hmm. of Billy Meyer do not support him. It's a well, fake. No, it's, it's totally. It's a sham. It's a sham. But I look around this field, Gene, and what do I see? I see so much of this. You find people who, in many cases, they don't have any real background. And this is something I find absolutely fascinating. Uh, coming from a, a field, high technology, that you and I both come from, I mean, my credentials are pretty well known. They're out there for anybody to find. I'm not going to go into them now because... They're a matter of public record. It's not hard to find out about me when you go on the web. You know, I, I and then when you go back into old print stuff, you know, go pick up an issue of Mac User from 1985. I'm on the masthead. I'm not making that stuff up. I'm right there. It's it's there for everyone to see. And that's something that, you know, why make things up, especially given that people who are interested in finding out about you are going to find out that you're making things up, especially in today's technological era. So I look around the UFO field and what I see are all of these people, Gene, who essentially came out of nowhere, who don't really have backgrounds, who don't really have credentials you can check. And and I'm not saying that those people are necessarily deceptive. I'm just saying that it, it's, you know, we've discussed on the show the, the idea of peer review. And I look at that and I think, well, peer review based on what? Who's a real researcher in this field? I mean, there are people like Rich Dolan, I think, that are obviously doing a lot of good work. But for every Rich Dolan, there are 15 other people who will read two things on the Internet, and that will be the extent of their research. And they will then map on their own belief system and their own agenda, and boom, here, now they take a position. They throw stuff out there. I mean, like this guy Jim Sparks that we had on. The keepers. Oh, yeah, I've had this extensive interaction with alien beings, blah, blah, blah. So you ask him about who he is, what he did. Well, I was in the real estate business, and then the aliens came. Well, tell us more about that real estate business. Well, it's not really relevant. Or the times we've had Steve Bassett on. Now, Bassett has gone to lengths to sort of skirt around the idea of what his background is. And I promise you, when we have Bassett back on, I'm, I'm not saying if, I'm saying when. I know he has enjoyed coming on the show, and we want to have him back on. But I think next time he comes back on, I want to press him harder about his background. And part of that reason for doing that is that when Jeremy Vaney had Bassett on his last uh, Culture of Contact podcast, he drilled a little deeper on Stephen about that and said, hey, you know, what What? What you used to do for a living? And Bassett sort of skated around it, and Jeremy stuck with it a little longer. And then, you know, Bassett kind of changed the subject. But I think that for a guy who's saying, I'm a lobbyist, and I'm going to take a leading role in the idea of formal disclosure, it's like, well, if you're interacting with government entities, then I'm going to believe that they're going to do some due diligence on you, especially if you want to have a meeting with someone who with high visibility. I'm guessing that uh, the people, the handlers of that high visibility person are going to want to have a handle on who the hell you are. And if you can't back that up, I'm guessing you're not getting the meaning. Well, that's the other thing, too, that you can say a lot of things about who you are, but somebody out there is going to be able to do the research. This is the kind of world where 
if I have your address, I can get your social security number. Right. And it's exactly. not because you want me to get your social security number. It's because it's very easy for people to find out things about other people. So if somebody wanted to research Stephen Bassett in a way where they pay a certain amount of money in order to be able to locate private information about him, they will probably know. We'll know his background. Mm -hmm. And we're not saying there's anything unsavory about his background. Maybe he was just involved in a profession that he didn't dig. Uh, many of us have done jobs that we didn't like, that we're not proud about. We did it to earn a living, and now we're into other things. At the same time, as soon as you become a public figure where your credentials are important because you are a lobbyist for disclosure, they're going to want you to disclose other things like your background. Well, sure. And that's that's exactly reasonable. And in a situation where you're looking for, for credibility, I mean, look, not that I'm going to bring him up for any other reason than to get some chuckles out of uh, out of the, the subject, but it's like the whole Cal Corf thing, man, where, you know, this is a guy who is obviously mentally ill, okay? Cal, I suspect you're probably listening to this. Get some help. You have mental problems, serious mental health issues. And part of it is that the guy is completely delusional. Now, see, here's where things get complicated, because this guy is even on the radar to begin with because of a couple of books he's written. You know, the Billy Meyer book, Expose thing he wrote back in the day, had some useful information in it, apparently. And he did some relatively okay work. I mean, he's not a writer, because he is... <laughs> His knowledge of grammar is essentially non-existent. But he did go and apparently disguise himself, get into the compound. He did stuff that was at the time useful. So we hear he had this like one useful calling card to his name. But then he goes and fabricates this whole reality. And again, I feel almost bad bringing him up because it's like shooting fish in a barrel. This okay, guy like his 1,000 book deal with... 500 book deal. I hate to be... I thought it was 1,000. No, no, it was 500. Okay, whatever. You know, we don't need to exaggerate anything here to get the point across that this is a guy who has no quote-unquote credibility because once you start to look into his background, and Royce dug up some fun stuff on the San Jose Merck website. Royce Myers, the third, our buddy. He sent some stuff. This is all up on the Paracast forums. And then there's a private email between Corf and Meyer and, and Royce that just just totally nails it. I mean, that's it. You know, here's Cal who we asked Dilatoso about whether or not he had gone after Cal legally because I guess Cal said some pretty damaging stuff about Dilatoso, whether in print or on on radio, whatever. And uh, apparently, Dilatoso did confirm that he had gone after. Corf uh, with some legal action. And that appears to be one of the reasons that Corf has been out of states for so many years and, and pretty much can't come back in. Perhaps it would be legally problematic for him to step foot on American soil again. He pissed some people off who uh, were not willing to write it off as just the rantings of a lunatic. But rantings of a lunatic they are. And so here's a guy again who is sort of indicative of where so many where so many people in this field are. He's not not everybody's as crazy as he is. He's kind of like this cartoonish, overblown, satirized version. But yeah, he's a guy who makes stuff up, who claims he knows people and did things that obviously have not happened. And it's almost like the realm of paranormal interest 
invites these kinds of lunatics. I mean, my God, man, Sylvia Brown, right? What a freaking joke. And, and just as recently as this last couple of weeks, uh, there was something that somebody on the Paracast forums posted. I know maybe it was even this last week about you know, some radio station or some TV station somewhere taking Sylvia Brown to task on her short Hornbeck stuff, which, you know, we did months ago on the show with uh, the fellow who has stopped SylviaBrown.com. But yet there was this mention of Sylvia Brown doing some session uh, recently. This is like within the last few weeks or so. And 2,000 people showed up, Gene. 2,000 people showed up paying 50 to $70 a head to listen to oh, this. I'm in the wrong business. Charlotte. Um, I mean, for sure. Christ's sakes, man. Can you imagine? I mean, it is really terrifying. And here's somebody who has no capabilities, has a completely contrived, invented past, just blatantly lies about everything about her life. And she's rewarded for it. And it's almost like this is the society in which we live. You can basically make stuff up, and people won't do due diligence, even though in recent years we've heard about these cases where I think a former CEO of Radio Shack was discovered to be like a, a college dropout or something, claimed to have a, a master's degree or a doctorate or something, and they, you know, they, someone called up the college they claimed to have graduated from, and Oh, gee, look, uh, this person is full of crap. You know what's very interesting to me? How do you appoint a person to a position like that in a large corporation, like Radio Shop, pretty large corporation, and you fail to do the due diligence to check his basic credentials? Uh, it's amazing. I don't vaguely understand how that's possible. But listen, what I can tell you is that in, in the world of big business, I'm guessing this kind of stuff happens every day. Every day, you know, organizations get so large, Gene, that people get away with murder because it's one of the one of these things where, you know, you hit the dinosaur on the tail, and by the time the message gets to the brain, it's two weeks later, and the tail has reconfigured itself. You know, a, an organization gets that big and that unwieldy, and, and that's what happens. And when we talk about the issue of government control and secrecy over information it doesn't want to disseminate. I have to believe that half the time, it's not even that they're trying to hide the stuff, is that they throw the stuff in a bin that's so full of distractions. They throw it in a bin that's so multi-layered that they figure, well, you know what? People are never even going to be able to find it because of the depth of the layers on this onion. And you know and something that's interesting? They probably don't know. This is Timothy Green Beckley, otherwise known as Mr. UFO, reporting live for the Conspiracy Journal. And we have a special offer for the listeners of the Paracast. Want to receive our publications for free? Conspiracy Journal and Bizarre Bizarre sent to you via snail mail. And all you have to do is email me at MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MRUFO at WebTV.net. And we'll send you two of the most exciting publications. But we do need your actual address because these are physical publications. And you'll enjoy all the latest articles by some of the leading researchers in the field, as well as up-to-date information on the latest book and videos. And it's all for free. Or drop us a line, Mr. UFO at WebTV.net. You are the Paracast with Jesus and David Bailey. You never know what's going to happen next.
I do know this. On the Paracast, G and David talking shop, catching up on the conversations we haven't had in the last few weeks. We've had so many interesting guests, and now it's just me and thee. And sometimes I worry about thee, but not really. But it's true that part of the problem might be that I go back to the original Indiana Jones film, okay, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where something is simply put in a storeroom, a dusty storeroom and forgotten about. And the government has so many different heads, so many different bureaucratic layers that peeling that onion may be impossible. So one group is doing this, another group is doing that in contradiction to the first group. So we think, well, gee, we're not getting all the information we want. Maybe there is a silence group. Maybe the silence group is a worldwide phenomenon trying to keep information about UFOs a secret. Or maybe they just don't know. Maybe it's just a bunch of people who aren't very competent about what they do. They see something they don't understand. And when you see something you don't understand, if you're a government bureaucrat and your pay is not going to change if you admit this. In fact, when you look for a promotion to upgrade your pay scale, maybe it will work against you. So you ignore it. You set it aside hoping that nobody among your 10,000 peers will know what's going on So the information is simply ignored, it simply catches dust, and nobody knows what happened to it. And nobody has an answer because they don't remember. Or the person who originally knew, well, he or she, they retired. They're they're gone. Yeah. And this is the nature of our reality today. This is why I think, for example, the United States finds itself in the situation it's in. I think that there's been so many bad things going on for so long now. You know, we talk about, in the political context, over the last seven years have been really terrible, blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, the way I think of it, Gene, is that ever since Kennedy was shot, this country has never really recovered. It just hasn't. It's been on a fairly predictable downward trend ever since. People, I think, after that happened, really got to the point where, you know, the whole idea of trusting the government that we saw in the 50s, and I wasn't around, you were around, so you probably have better memories of that than I would. But after Kennedy died, that pretty much all went out the window. You know, the dark underbelly of this country in the form of people like J. Edgar Hoover and Richard Milhouse Nixon and LBJ and, you know, what happened with the entanglement of the mafia and the American federal government in the 50s and then really in the 60s. This pretty much wiped out any sense of innocence God, and then there was Vietnam, which, you know, you look at that whole thing, and we've never really recovered from that. And and again, not to take any of this in the political direction, but ultimately, you know, life is a political endeavor. When I saw the way that you know, Ronald Reagan was canonized, I thought, well, that kind of rewriting of history to make this guy out to be some wonderful president, I thought, man, if they can do that, then they can rewrite history in any way that is desired. And, and, and so the point for bringing up the political tangent here is that we don't seem to have a very effective collective memory at this point. It's so easily manipulated. And I'm, I'm 45 years old. I look at how things have changed in my lifetime and look at how people's just basic inquisitiveness has changed. And, and it's amazing because you would think with something like the Internet, people would be able to become much more proactive about educating themselves and acquiring powers of discernment, Gene, which to me is so 
not the case. It seems like what the internet has done is it has made it people for easier to be dumb. <laughs> I, I don't know any nice way to say this, but I look at some of the posting that goes on in the online world. I look at the standard stream of crap, for example, that comes out of the Camelot project, and I want to call these people out. Bill Ryan and Carrie Cassidy, who, you know, when they first started the Camelot project, it was supposed to be a place for people to go and speak openly who had valuable information. And so what do we see up on there? Man, we have the longest line of delusional lunatics. I mean, people like Dan Burrish, just absolutely full of crap. Or the most recent one, John Lear, another delusional psychopath who, in this four-hour nonsensical interview, among all of the other crap he spouts, he tries to make Jeff Ritzman and myself out to potentially be CIA operatives. It's like, what? What kind of bad grain alcohol are you drinking, Lear? Are you just completely out of your mind? Well, you know, Honestly, back in the 1950s and 60s, they used to send out the rumors that Jim Mosley was an agent of the Air Force oh, or CIA. Now, Jim had more military credentials. He was not in the military. He was a Princeton dropout. But his late father was a deputy chief of staff in the Army, a kind of a high, big-wig kind of guy in the military during World War II. So certainly descended from that right. particular... Yeah. Now, he, of course, Jim was the black sheep of the family. We understand that. And... He never got along that well with his father. We talked a lot about that during the early days. But because of that, they'd look that up and say, well, look what his father was. Jim is this bohemian type, but that's a pose. He's really a secret government agent. Ha ha. Oh, what crap. That's just like, you know, blockhead Sarita trying to say with some NSA operative when I called him on his nonsense. Because that's like the easiest, uh, that's the path of least resistance. Oh, I don't like you. I feel that you're you're not agreeing with me. Well, I'm just going to call you out as a government operative. Bum, 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 bum. It's like, oh, give me a break. Early on in the show we had on, I'm, I'm forgetting his name, because my brain, thankfully, ejects some of this information that we acquire on the show. But we had on a guy who was talking about secret government organizations. It wasn't Ken Thomas. It was some other guy. And I, somehow he had brought up the whole thing about the Bohemian Grove get-togethers up in Northern California and how they were sacrificing humans and they were plotting the takeover of the world, blah, 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 blah. And it turns out I have this good good buddy of mine who lives in the Bay Area, who comes from a wealthy family, who has been to a number of the Bohemian Grove gatherings. He's, he's ventured to these things. He's been there. I was invited. He went up. And so I have some idea, based on what my friend told me about what goes on at these things and it's basically uh you know a <laughs> it's a place where these guys go and they're bad boys for a couple of days they beat their chests and talk about how powerful they are whatever it's uh not surprising it's kind of i think in in many ways comical but it's what a goof. this guy did it's a goof, it's a goof. well sure. i don't know it, it, it's what it is okay. but the best part was this guy in his website had found out that i worked on terminator 2 and so now on his website, he painted the picture of me being <laughs> at the beck and call of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And apparently Arnold Schwarzenegger 
<laughs> got me to put up some disinformation on the show about the Bohemian Grove episode because I worked on T2, Arnold was the star of T2, I mentioned the Bohemian Grove, so now I was mentioning the Bohemian Grove because Arnold Schwarzenegger somehow influenced me. It's like, what are you, are you like huffing ether? <laughs> is people like crazy? And the answer is yes. In this realm of discussion of paranormal topics, there are a lot of people who are just absolutely out of their minds. And not in a good way either. Now, I'll tell you the name of the guest. I'll give you the name of the guest, ladies and gentlemen. William H. Kennedy, author of Satanic Crime, A Threat to the New Millennium. Wait, his last name is Kennedy. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Uh-oh. He's getting drunk with Teddy up in the compound. Whatever. I mean, He and a lot of other people, I think. Yeah, yeah, probably. Well, so the Camelot Project, speaking of Kennedy, so the Camelot Project has an interview with this guy, Green, who makes a lot of really outrageous claims. And one of the things he says is that he was at some meeting of bankers, and he was there with his 14-year-old daughter. I don't know what she was doing there, whatever. And um, this is getting a little bit too raunchy for us. No, no, no. Check this out. Okay. Well, this guy claims on this Camelot Project interview, you can go watch this for yourself. Don't believe what I say. He says that at this meeting, Ted Kennedy was at this thing and notices his daughter and says something about, oh, uh, who's she? I want her. I'm going to have her. This guy Green goes, well, uh, Teddy, that's my daughter. I don't care. I want her. It's like, what are you? Are you kidding me? You're, you're saying this? You're saying that Teddy Kennedy said this to you. Oh, yeah. That's your daughter? That's your 14-year-old daughter? I don't care. I'm going to have her. You know, the minute someone says something like that, it's like, man, if you make a statement like that, you better be able to prove it in a in some kind of way. Otherwise, your credibility is just out the door. And if you do hear someone say that, you should get these people into jail fast. Well, I mean, if he says something like that, he's going on record on video saying this. He's saying a lot of other stuff. I mean, you go look at these. this guy, uh, Green. Go listen to his interviews. I mean, if you want to laugh really hard, because... They're just so over the top. It's kind of like the Lear stuff, you know. Yes, there's oxygen on the moon, and I can get up on the moon and walk around on the moon without a spacesuit because it has uh, it has gravity and uh, enough for me to walk around, and there's oxygen, and people walking around with, you know, uh, with tall cups of coffee and danishes. I mean, you're gonna, if you're going to make crap up, yeah, sure, go hog wild, but don't expect us to believe it. Don't say it with some kind of... um a sense of absolute determination and then expect to have any credibility in any sane person's eyes. I mean, that's the thing, Gene. You look at this kind of stuff and you think, all right, so I guess we can't have any reasonable discussions about this topic. And I know that, you know, we had a lot of good feedback about that ex-conference show that we did with Jeremy. And yet there were some people that were just not happy with what we did. You know, my God, you guys are giggling. You're being children. You know, and it's kind of like saying, look, if you're at a comedy show, you sort of have to giggle because it's a comedy show. And there was some stuff that was said at the X conference that really was comedic. It was funny. It was silly. And so, yes, you have to laugh. I mean, Rob Simone, how could you not laugh at that asshat? You have to laugh at him because he's such a dolt. He's also a tragic case there because somebody who's so self-important he thinks he has some kind of impact (laughs) 
Hey listeners, did you know that Fate is the oldest and best known publication on the paranormal? Well, since 1948, Fate has provided their readers with fascinating in-depth articles on subjects like psychics and spiritualists, ghosts and hauntings, UFOs and aliens, as well as readers' true personal mystical experiences. For under $20, you can keep up with all the latest information. To subscribe, call now at one 800 728 2730 or visit Fate's website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. So what are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. One thing that does have impact, on the PowerCast this week, hour number two, we are talking shop, David and myself, telling about things that happen. I just learned something. Years ago, I wrote an article for Saga UFO Report about UFOs, and I mentioned the alleged encounter between William Shatner riding his motorcycle, crashing it in the desert, and a UFO. It's been mm-hmm. published a lot of times. Shatner, really? All yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. Now, Shatner has an autobiography out now called Up Till Now. All right? And basically, to quote Shatner about this episode in the desert where he saw a UFO, I tell the truth that I lied. Huh? Basically, the incident never happened. He made it up. There you go. Great. Okay, so now my beliefs are shattered. Beliefs are shattered? My beliefs are shattered, too. I'm starting to feel like I have the mad cow disease like his character, Denny Crane. Hey, Gene, let me ask you a question. Sure. Why do people put so much weight on statements of celebrities? What kind of disease is that? Why do they do that? Well, that takes us back to the fact that if a celebrity says, vote for this guy, they say, well, that's important. We need to interview that celebrity. The celebrity, he's an actor. He's a songwriter. She's... Maybe someone who's a dancer, whatever. Okay, so let's take an act. Why do we assume any of these people know anything more than you or I? Because no, no, they no, can, no, no. because no, they do it a good performance? What? No, 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 no. Well, here's the thing. All right, okay, so you take an actor. Actors are celebrities. The actors somehow, their weight has more credibility. Sean Penn, if you're listening to this, listen up good. From my point of view, actors do one thing really, really well. And the better they do it, the better they are at their quote unquote craft. They lie. Actors make you feel that a certain set of emotional dynamics are going on in a scene when, in fact, all of those emotional dynamics are contrived. It's all play. So an actor basically misrepresents the current state of reality or creates a fictional reality in order for you to be pulled into the story, in order for you to feel like you are experiencing that reality as if it were objective reality. When it's, it's like when you were a kid, you played cops and robbers or space people and earth people, yeah, and yeah. you play acted, you pretended to be something else, someone else. Right. And now you're getting paid to pretend to be someone else, to right. lie, to Is fool that, people. What yeah. do movie special effects artists like David Bietney do? Well, you created special effects that you pretended that what you did was a reality. That the character in Terminator 2 that Robert Patrick really could turn into this liquid metal hello the visual effects person creates a set of visual effects 
that enhance what's there or that change the visual reality of what's going on. The visual effects supervisor at no point believes that what is going on is reality. Visual effects people don't do, you know, the, uh, what was that method that Marlon Brando used? The method acting. You know, the, the, the method acting thing? Sure. Visual effects people, you know. You don't, don't believe it, but you're trying to create an illusion of reality. Yeah, but yeah, we know yeah, it's but, an illusion. No, no, stop sure. it. I'm not setting myself on fire in order to see how to do a good, you know, fire effect. I don't have to douse myself in water to know how to do a fluid dynamics to create. But, right, water. but when you watch it, it looks like. That's water that is engulfing well, that little model ship. That is right. The only thing that you should then ask a visual effects artist about their opinion about that they have a qualified opinion to give is about how to create visual effects. Unless they do other things in their spare time. But the point is that you don't see people going to visual effects artists and say, and asking them, you know, what do you think about global warming? Or what do you think about the current president? Because they're no more qualified to speak than anybody else. My point is that with an actor, a celebrity, they're no more qualified to make, give an opinion or like, you know, the whole David Sarita, Dan Aykroyd thing that, you know, Dan Aykroyd, great UFO specialist. No, he's a fairly comedic actor who, of course, after John Belushi died, his best work, you know, pre, his best work days were over. The bottom line is that Aykroyd's in no better position to make judgment calls about the reality of the UFO situation than anyone else. And so this whole, this whole idea, this cult of personality thing that we have as a culture, one of my personal heroes, Noam Chomsky, makes it very clear that, you know, uh, he is so against the idea of the cult of personality, star worship, that, you know, he feels that this has been used to a large degree as a controlling factor over us. And it's true, the whole issue of, pushing people's attention towards the lives of the the wealthy and famous, the rich and famous, you know, I guess it's always gone on, Gene, but we have to get to the point where we realize that this has got nothing to do with reality. It just doesn't. And, and trying to understand paranormal stuff, you know, I don't really care what Shirley MacLaine thinks or doesn't think. I mean, ultimately, it doesn't really matter. She's another person with, an, with a set of opinions, she seems like she could be a very nice person. Of course, she also believes in the Billy Meyer crap. So, you know, she's when a I nice and gullible person. Well, you know, God knows there are a few of those in the world, too. Too many. But, but, but why do people look to her as some goddess of the paranormal? I don't get it. I mean, I don't want people to look at us that way either. Look, we have, we do one thing on this show. We talk about topics that we are fascinated by. We try to get some kind of coherent discussion. I'm not even saying we can do that half the time. Look, you know, anybody listen to listens to the the Culture of Contact episode, or the the Comcast of Culture Tact, or whatever the hell we called it, the whole thing about the X conference. You know, that was to a large degree that was kind of silly, though. You know, we had a real conversation with Bruce McAbee. We had a, I think, a somewhat interesting conversation with Delatoso. We showed Rob Simone to be the banana-headed jerk-off that he is. <laughs> and, you know, there are people listening to the show that say, well, Jerry, you shouldn't say that, David. That's not nice. And it's like, you know what? This is our little show that you and I do that ultimately, whether nobody listens to it or everybody listens to it, we're not going to, it's not going to change how we do the show. We've never done the show, Gene, with the idea of how are we going to make it so that the largest number of people listen? Are we going to choose our guests based on who we think is going to be the most popular person for a large number of audience members to listen to? It's like, no, we tend to choose people that we want to speak to because 
were curious to speak with them on a personal basis. I mean, you know, getting Jacques Vallée on the show was not about, you know, how, how can we get someone who so everybody wants to hear? It's more about, well, we think that he's on to something and we want to talk to him because we think he's got something useful to say. And uh, of anybody in the field, he probably has more useful insights than anyone. Really, truly, and after having read his books, I strongly feel that way. And that's what would motivate us to get a guest on, not, for example, like another show whose name I'm not going to mention, whose host is most interested in the personalities. That's like picking up E-Week magazine and seeing pictures of monkeys in suits. It's like, I don't give a damn about the people's faces who are deploying technology. Show me things about the technology. Well, in the case of certain shows, they are really there to promote themselves as great big stars. Oh, my God, I'm a big star, and I have this show, and therefore I'm great. I'm wonderful. Well, you know I'm a what? fabulous person because somebody gave me this microphone. All I'm yeah. doing is I'm talking before a microphone. Nothing special. And sometimes people listen and think, well, that person has something interesting to say. But then they go back to their lives. Right. Well, on one of the forums of one of these shows, um, people were mocking my credentials, my professional credentials. And it's like, okay, I'm old enough to understand the nature of jealousy. And at this point, you know, I've had enough insecure people in my life who basically were threatened by me because my resume is somewhat intimidating. That's the deal. And, you know, I've had difficulties in my life, and I've had professional difficulties in my life as well. It's very difficult being outspoken in a highly politically correct world. And this gets you into trouble all the time, and I get into trouble all the time. And it doesn't stop me. I, I, I'm outspoken, and that's a, that's a feature and it's a bug. But in the end, we're doing this show, I think, for the right reasons. And if, if it stops being something that I enjoy, I suspect if it stops being something that you enjoy, we'll stop doing it. You know, it's not like it, it, nobody's paying us to do this show. We do it because we're genuinely interested in the topics. At least that's why I do it. I don't know why the hell you do it. I think I'm going to go to my analyst and say, okay, Marvin, why am I doing this show? Well, you need therapy, my friend. And well, Gene, that's because of your masturbation habits. Well, there's something going on out there. I haven't figured out what it is, but I, I keep going in and out of the UFO field. And I know that years ago we used to have all sorts of fun talking to people. And now the problem I see in the UFO field and the paranormal realm completely, too many people are too full of themselves. They think because they have a book out, there's something special. Yeah. Oh, my God, I wrote a book. You know, I'm going to be the next Tom Clancy. I'm going to be but, whoever. But, but we get that, too. <laughs> but people say that, certainly say that about me, that I'm, like, full of myself, whatever. And you know what? At this point, I'm, I'm old enough and aware enough to know who I am to a pretty large degree. People are either, they're either respectful of confidence or they're threatened by it. And this is, like, my history, man. This is my life, uh, you know, where I've gone into, like, Photoshop events and I'm always the last person to be put on the speak because it's been a long-running thing that nobody will go on after me. Now, you know, he's being egotistical. Well, I don't know, but that's what's actually happened in my life. Does that mean I'm being egotistical? Hell, man, if the, the conference promoters won't put me on before anybody else, if they'll only put me on last and they tell me nobody will go on after you, either they're lying to me, or they're telling me the truth and people are intimidated by me. And you know what? In my life, 
I was always concerned about people being intimidated by me. I won't mention the names on the air, but I've heard from one or two people who think that maybe we go over the top a little bit, that we're too right. quick to criticize other yeah. people in the UFO field. And I think, you know what? We can't be politically correct. There's a lot of crap going on out there. A lot of people are making fanciful claims. A lot of people are full of themselves, stuffed shirts. They think they wrote the book. They are the only true researchers. They have the way and the truth. They want to be religious icons, whatever their problem is. Touch me. Touch right. me. Sure. Touch me. Don't touch, touch me. me. I'm a star. It's like that. Touch the old vaudeville joke, don't touch me. I'm a star. Well, you know what? We're not stars. We're just people who talk about things. If we get a lot of people listening, that's great. It will not change us. I mean, I will still get up in the morning and do my thing, and David will still, you know, eat his cheese or whatever he prefers to eat for lunch, and I will have my Indian food or my Chinese food, and I'll still have a son, I'll still have a wife who tolerate me most of the time. But I will not be a different person. Maybe that's the problem with people who sometimes become too famous too young because they think they must be someone special. Because I made $100 million, and the person down the street who I grew up with, well, they're lucky to take home minimum wage. So I must be someone special. Or the other thing is that you resent that. You say, gee, why did I get $100 million when that person only works for minimum wage? So now I have a problem. And now I look to solve it. So I take it out on everybody, and I no, get no, addicted no. to drugs, and I get addicted oh, to alcohol, oh. and I drive everybody crazy. If you've got $100 million, just give me half of it. I'll do that. All right. All right. Yeah. We, you're here on record saying this. And I want you to go on record saying the same thing. You have $100 million. I got half of it. I didn't claim to have $100 million. You just said you have $100 million, and now you're on drugs and alcohol. And I'm just saying, give me half of the $100 million and... It's more likely that you'll live longer. Speaking of living longer, as we run out, we are working on some interesting guests. I understand that Jacques Vallée is in the wings. He's going to come on real soon. Indeed he will. Uh-huh. And there's someone else who, um, while we've been on, I've just gotten an email from, who I've really been wanting to have on to talk about UFOs, but he wants to come on and talk about something else, and the something else he wants to talk about is actually more fascinating than UFOs. And he sent us a book. He sent us both a book. That's right. It's a very interesting book. It's not a long book. It's a very interesting book. I've been reading it, and he's going to be on the show in a couple of weeks, I hope. Pretty soon. To talk about that, and it's not about UFOs, although maybe we will segue into that a little bit. Or maybe not. Or maybe we will. You never know. (laughs) On the Paracast. That's right. But, you know, I want to tell you something before we let David disappear and before I disappear. We have this forum that not all of you know about. They all know about it. They all know about the forums at paracast.com slash forums where they could just join up. It doesn't cost them anything. We're not going to sell their email address. You become a member. You give yourself a username. It's an online community where you talk about the paranormal or you just hang out and talk about anything that bothers you. People are talking about politics. People well, no, are no, wait a minute. Now, there's a new game going on now on the forums. You might not have noticed it. It's how to get Gene to post responses of more than a sentence. There's a competition going on. Well, I will, of course, knowing the competition, and I hadn't read this message, I will keep my messages to less than a sentence. Four right. words apiece. I will Come not on, post man. a message more than four words. Sure. Why not? 
Get four words. Long. How about three sentences? How about two paragraphs? Okay, two short you, paragraphs. I dare you, you wussy, to get up there and, and from now on, every month when you put up your one post, let it be more than two paragraphs. I will send you a prize. What kind of prize? I want to prepare myself for this. No, you, you, you do the posting and I'll send you something good. What's going to happen, ladies and gentlemen, is between now and maybe the next episode of the PowerCast, mm-hmm. you may find a post from me on the PowerCast forums containing... At least two sentences. <sighs> Is that good enough? No. Next week, or the week after, on the Paracast. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.